Hello and welcome to Sermons by the Park, the weekly sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the radical welcome of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Word of God to inspire and transform us. We're happy to share that message with you wherever you are on life's journey. Now here's this week's message. Our first today from Psalm 62, verses 4 through 8. For my alone, my soul aches in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is the rock in my salvation, my fortress. I shall appreciate you. How long will you sail a person who will battle your victim, all of you, as you would a living wall or a garden fence? Their only plan is to bring down a person of promise. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but they will be the first. For my own, my soul waits in silence. For my hope is from him. He alone for my lot and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. O God rests my deliverance in my honor. My many rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Amen. Scripture reading today comes from Luke's Gospel, 11th chapter, verses 1 through 13. Let's continue listening for God's word for us here today. He, Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who did it to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And your friend answers to him, Do not bother me, the door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I can't wait the babies. <laughs> I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything just because he is a friend, because of his persistence, he will give up and give him whatever he needs. And so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find, knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks the door will be open. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Where if a child asks for an egg, it will give you a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? This is the word of God. 
Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer once again. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come and make your word of life to us this day. Speak to me that I may speak. Speak to us that our hearts may know you better. We may draw, be drawn to the way of Christ, to the way of the prayer. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have begun 2023 together here on Sunday mornings by taking up the way of Christ, considering together what it means to commit ourselves to the way, to commit ourselves to discipleship. We heard how baptism prepares us for the way, a sign and a tangible symbol of God's providence and grace that comes before we even start asking or acting. And then last week we heard about the call of God that invites us, that speaks to the deep desires of our hearts for something beyond ourselves, something we can commit ourselves to fully. And so this week we turn to the discipline that reflects that inmost desire, the longing of our restless and wandering spirits. This is, of course, the discipline of prayer. The only thing the disciples ever specifically asked Jesus to teach them was how to pray. It's the only time the disciples actually give Jesus a command. Teacher, teach us how to pray. When Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes, no one came up to him and said, Hey, teacher, teach us how you did that. <laughs> when he healed the blind and the lame, they didn't go up to him and ask, Teacher, teach us how to heal. And yet, somehow they managed to learn along the way how to do that. Just before this in Luke's Gospel, we hear of 70 of Jesus' followers who went out into the towns and, and villages on the way, and, and they visited people, and they casted out demons in Jesus' name. And they returned, almost surprised that they figured out how to do it. So they come back and say, we casted out demons in your name. It's miraculous. But now that they've returned, and now that they have seen Jesus himself praying, as he so often is described as having done, one of the disciples says, you know what, if there's one thing that I really, really need to learn from Jesus, I need to learn how to pray. If you read this week's uh, All Church email, you know that this church has a long list of people we are holding in prayer. What does that mean? There are people, myself included, who have recently experienced the death of a loved one. We are experiencing and expressing what's known as Christian sympathy for them. This is also an act of prayer. Of course, it may also include sending sympathy cards or bringing casseroles or any number of other practices. But what is most often asked for in such a time by the grieving? Our prayers. And so, what are people asking for when they say, Pray for me? What are we offering when we tell someone, I will pray for you? The disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, but they didn't ask the deeper and more fundamental question, which I think Jesus does answer, which is, What, what is it to pray? 
monk, very famous for his prayers, calls prayer not primarily saying words or thinking thoughts, it is rather a life stance, a way of living in the presence. So the definition of prayer that I came across recently that, that has captured my own imagination comes from my favorite practical theologian, Andrew Root. He says, prayer is the broadening of our attention on the world around us, looking again for the arriving of God, who announces himself by speaking to us, calling us to pray for others and through our actions of ministry for them. And that is what Jesus teaches his disciples when he teaches them how to pray. He doesn't just offer them a formula of the words to say. He encourages them to pray a certain way with persistence and anticipation. Jesus says that we pray by anticipating and indeed inviting God into our lives. Of course, there are some moments in life that just seem to be the right time to pray. And those are the moments where we already have a sense that God is approaching. Whether that be times of great stress, or trial, or illness. Moments where we experience the beauty and the grandeur of creation when we come to the boundary between life and death. All of these experiences we sometimes describe as sacred or holy. Word holy, of course, means unusual outside of the norm, something strange and wondrous that, that prompts us to stop. The holy can be an unexpected thing, like when Moses was, was out with his sheep and, and happened upon a bush that was on fire, and yet didn't seem to be consumed by the flames. Stumbling upon this sight, he then hears a voice that tells him to take his shoes off because he has stumbled onto holy ground. And sometimes that's how those experiences are for us. We just seem to stumble into a moment and say, oh my, I, I think I'm on holy ground here. I better pray. Of course, though, the, the strange thing about those moments is that more often than not, we don't stumble into them. They are not really unexpected. They are very much a part of life. Sickness, death, trial, all of these are times when we know what to expect to some extent or another. There are lots of other moments in life where we have sort of codified that as times when we pray, right? Before a meal, when you begin a meeting, or maybe when you get news that someone is sick or, or has experienced a death. In this sense, we recognize that the holy is not all that unusual or unexpected, but it's all around us. Because encountering God is to encounter life. God is so very much in the midst of things that we can often take that for granted. Indeed, it is the mark of our times, this secular age, as the philosopher Charles Taylor calls it, that we can live most of our lives without really acknowledging or seeking access to God, because seeing everything we meet, everything we confront, all of our desires, all of our expectations, they are fully within our hand, they are fully within our ability to confront with our culture, with our technology, with, with ourselves. 
secular age, many folks engage in what they call spiritual practices or mindfulness practices. Sometimes prayer is described as a spiritual practice or a form of mindfulness. But mindfulness is fundamentally a matter of the disciplining of the self. It's about training our minds and our bodies to respond and react to the world around us in a particular way. Mindfulness is important because it's about controlling the body and the mind as we confront this fast-moving, anxiety-provoking world in which we live. Yet those who claim simply to be engaged in this practice of mindfulness believe that by this practice of self-discipline, they can stay healthy, that they can be whole and well and confront the world simply by sheer force of their own will and the persistence of their practice. And to some extent, prayer is about the disciplining of ourselves, of our minds, and our bodies, but it's not just that. Both prayer and mindfulness share this notion of broadening our awareness, of stepping back from the immediacy of whatever is right in front of us and taking the moments to, to wait and to breathe. But in that moment, prayer does not seek to control itself, or even to control the world itself and habits, prayer sees something else. It sees this encounter, the arrival of God. Prayer has an air of expectation to it. As I was telling you, when we pray, if we're doing it right, we should anticipate God's presence, God's arrival. We are asking God to show up somewhere or for someone. And it's hard to tell what's more astounding about that. That we would have the gumption to ask the creator of the whole universe, the ruler uh, of all things, the governor of, of blades of grass and molten magma beneath the earth's crust, uh, to one who oversees the refugee living beneath the tarp across the U.S. Mexico border, to the soldier crouching as missiles are inbound. It's hard to believe that we would have the hubris to believe that that God who has so many things to do would show up where we ask. Can't tell if it's more amazing that, that we ask that or if God does indeed show up. If Jesus indeed assures us that if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, the door Jesus tells his disciples, uh, if they want to pray like him, then they have to address God as he does, by calling God Abba in the Aramaic, which means dad, really, dad. But we have formalized that because it just seems a little too intimate with the ruler of the universe to call God dad, and so we say father. Much more, much more respectful. And it's true, we are, should address God with respect and deference, but still, Jesus reminds us that there is an intimacy there between us and God, that God is one who knows us and cares for us as deeply and as intimately as a loving parent. Of course, the other wrinkle that's been added to the Lord's Prayer over the centuries is the opening word, our Father which Jesus doesn't say here. But that first word of the Lord's Prayer, 
reminds us that when we pray, we are never praying alone. Nor are we ever praying to a kind of singular God that is just my mother. To Jesus, God is my Father. He says that from time to time. But when we pray, always we are praying with Jesus. And Jesus prays with us. And so we say, Our Father. And of course, in addressing God in this way, we should expect a response. But of course, this is a different kind of expectation than the ones we have in the rest of our lives. In the rest of our lives, we set our own expectations for ourselves and for others. We set goals, we put tasks in front of ourselves, and we, we work to complete them. And when we expect things to go a certain way, we have a measure of the relative success or failure. Expectations are a way of measuring the worth of a given day, with the meaningfulness of our lives that we met expectations. But prayer, prayer expects in a different way. Because we can invite, we can anticipate, we can hope for God to arrive. But ultimately, of course, we have to remember that it is not up to us what God does. The more disciplined and aware we are of the sacred dimension of the world, that is the more we become attentive to how God shows up in the world. And in that sense, we can become more attentive to anticipate God's presence. And we can choose our moments to pray a little more carefully because we can accurately anticipate God's coming. When we, we start to pray for certain things, because we start to sense how God enters the world. But we should never convince ourselves that we've got it all figured out. Nor should we use prayers answered as a measuring stick for the goodness of God. Fundamentally, prayer is an act of communication. We speak to God, and God speaks back. If scripture teaches us nothing else, it teaches us that God is a God who speaks, who communicates, who is speaking to us in word, but also in flesh and in signs and in wonders. Prayer is an opportunity to communicate with God, to speak and be spoken to, but also to communicate in other ways as well. But the spoken prayer, I think, is probably what the disciples were asking for. After all, they said, teach us to pray like John's disciples to pray. And so Jesus answers their question as they give it. He says, here's the agenda. Here's how you pray. Here's the talking points that are fitting and pleasing to God. And of course, we all have these sorts of scripts and talking points that we use at all times during our day. The words or phrases we use in response to a situation in prayer is like that. There's even a leading over sometimes from the prayers we pray into our everyday speech, such as when someone sneezes and we say to them, bless you. It's, a, it's almost a reflex, but it is, of course, a prayer, a blessing. It's amazing to think of what it means to ask God to arrive for some of these seasons. <laughs> but, of course, if this is an act of communication of meeting God, then like any good meeting, we have to have an agenda. And that's what Jesus provides us here. 
So Article 1 of the agenda is reverence, devotion, remembrance, seems fitting. We hallow God's name. Hallowed be thy name. We broaden our awareness to see God at work as creator of heaven and earth. When we take time to pray and cultivate that reverence, what requires stepping out of seeing the world only as we have made it, but seeing it just as it is in our own eyes, our own striving, and our own goals. The more we discipline ourselves in that first aspect of prayer by hallowing God's name, the more we start to see that in our life stance, as Richard Wolf put it. Of course, the second article on the agenda is about what we anticipate in the arrival of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Of course, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is not like a kingdom of this world, that God's will is not the will of a ruler, but a good shepherd, a healer, a comforter, a minister. The God is bread and water. We expect God to arrive and minister to us, not just to our minds and our bodies, but to our spirits. And that once God has arrived, we become ministers of God's grace here on earth. Andrew Rude writes that prayer disconnected from ministry becomes a self-serving positivity strategy, a true waste of time. This is particularly true for those who believe that prayer is just yearning for luck and who consider themselves brave enough to face the world without this childish charm. But to teach people to pray is to call them to ministry. It's to pray together in and through acts of ministry. Prayers of thanksgiving and prayers are and praise of the arrival of God. And we praise God not as some metaphysical force of the universe, but rather for God's faithfulness to us as a minister, the ways he's acted for us by ministering to us. Article 3 is to ask for our daily bread, to ask God to minister to us. And of course, this is not simply to yearn for good fortune, but to remember and to speak aloud the way God provides for us, not in some extraordinary way, but in the everyday fabric of our lives. I got four thoughts from this. We ask for forgiveness. A reminder that our well-being is not a matter of mindfulness and self-cultivation, but ultimately a deliverance from ourselves into a life more abundant. That's why item five is about that deliverance. Deliverance from the temptations within our hearts, as well as from those evils beyond our control that diminish our lives. Again, we can have the confidence, even the boldness to pray these things because God is the God of our lives. The Creator of the Spirit is given to us and leads us back again and again to God's grace. The discipline of prayer is a commitment of our time and our energy, but I think it is an act that is richly rewarded in the way it gives a vibrance to all the rest of our lives. And so we should not be shy with our prayers, and we should not be shy with asking for prayers from others. This week, I uh, 
was driving around downtown and I saw um, one of those ribbon magnets on the back of a car, you know, the ones that are yellow for soldiers or pink for people with cancer. Uh, this one was black and white, and it said, pray for our priests. And while I am not a priest, I do ask for your prayers. I don't hesitate to do it because I'm praying for you too, so you follow me. <laughs> no, it's not. That's not the best we can. I ask for your prayers in part because I do need them. But these are some of the sometimes the hardest part of praying is figuring out what to pray for or who to pray for. And it can be harder to make that time, to make that commitment, unless you know that someone else is, is counting on you. And so, so I hope that you know that I need your prayers. And that, again, there are lots of others, even just within this church, who need prayer. That we need to hope together for the arrival of God in our lives. Jesus told his disciples to pray without ceasing. Because ultimately, prayer is what the way of Christ is about. Committing ourselves to the hope that God is waiting just behind the door, ready and willing to open if we ask, if we seek, if we knock. And then when the door is open, God will arrive in our world and in our lives with hope and justice. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Union Congregational Church and our life together, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or find us on social media at Church by the Park. Until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.